0: We're listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word.
1: Today's scripture lesson is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20.
0: Welcome to Sojourn. It's good to gather with you. My name is Justin. one of the pastors here. If we haven't had the chance to meet, we'd love to be able to meet you after the service today. Grateful for those of you that are gathering online with us as well for this second Sunday of the Advent season. I realized this week that last week we didn't have our Advent candles out, but now they're out. They're lit. We light them each week. Just to symbolize the fact that light is coming into the darkness. So as we get further and further into Advent, more and more of the candles will be led to remind us of that. Before we dive into the word this afternoon, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. So as you pray with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to be together. We thank you for technology allowing us to be at home gathering there and being here in person as well. God, we thank you for the gift of grace that is the church, the means of grace it is to be with one another, to receive your word, to sing it and pray it and hear it preached. And we know, God, that through that, you use this to mold us and shape us, to be more like Jesus and to see you for who you are. And so, holy God, we pray by the power of your spirit that you would work in and through this time now to make much of yourself in our hearts and lives, that as we leave from here, that we would truly adore our king. And our Savior. Thank you for this time. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, growing up, uh, Christmas and the Advent season was one of my favorite times in the year. Now, Advent's the whole celebration of the coming of Christ. It starts usually at the end of November. and goes for a few weeks leading up to Christmas Day. And so I wasn't excited about that as a kid just because I got two weeks off of school and got gifts. Those are always good things. But I really love, the, and still do, the, the decorations that go along with this Christmas, this Advent season. At the church I grew up in, the first Sunday of Advent, we actually spent time in an evening service talking about the decorations and talking about what they meant and why we put them up year after year. I love then, and still do, the songs that we sing during this time as well. Songs which have become, to me, more to me over the years, have understood the lyrics more and more. Some of these songs that we sing have been sung by the church for hundreds of years, celebrating the fact that Christ has come. They are rich with truth. That's one of the reasons this Advent season we're doing this sermon series called Songs of Advent. Each Sunday, we'll preach a sermon from a scripture, anchoring our time in there, and then use a well-known Advent hymn to illustrate and affirm what the scripture is calling us to see and calling us to believe. And this week, I get to do two of my favorites. Our text, as you just heard read, is from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And as I was studying it this week, it made me think about my family growing up, that every Christmas Eve, we would read this passage before we went to bed. And as I studied it more this week, it just continued to kind of get me excited and refreshed and just amazed at the magnificence and the majesty of what takes place in the scripture. And we're going to use one of my favorite Advent songs, O Come All Ye Faithful, a hymn that was written by a man named John Francis Wade in 1743. It was originally written in Latin. And it translated into English about 100 years later in 1841. We've been singing this song for almost, or a little over 200 years. Now for some of you, this text that we're going to be preaching from, this song that we're going to be singing after the sermon and using in the sermon, and even maybe the idea of celebrating Advent, maybe all of that's new to you. And that's great, and I'm glad that you're here with us tonight, and I hope you'll continue to come and gather with us throughout this Advent season. But my guess would be for a lot of you, you, especially if you grew up in the church or have been around the church for a while, this is likely a familiar text and a familiar song. You probably, if you couldn't straight up just have it memorized, you could pretty much speak it because you've heard it so often. You you know how the story goes. You know what happens. This song is familiar to a lot of us as well. And so you may be thinking to yourself, great, I kind of already know how this goes. I I know about the shepherds. I, I know about... Jesus in the major. I know about all these things, I know this song, like, what's going to be different about that for me today? Well, I can't promise you that anything's going to be different, but I really believe that if you'll take this time right now to just lean in, to lean in and seek to see and hear this text and this song with fresh ears and eyes this afternoon, I really believe that God would use this in your life to cultivate within you a heart of worship. To develop with you an adoration for Christ. That your affections for Jesus will grow all the more during this Advent season. You and I live in a world of distractions. I mean, we're constantly pulling our attention to all different kinds of things. But that's why I love that we're in this text today and using this song. Because both of them are an invitation out of that. Out of distraction. An invitation to every single person here. Whether you are following Jesus or just checking out who Jesus is. It's an invitation for all of us to come to Bethlehem and see. To come to Bethlehem and see. An invitation for all of us to adoration. But it's not just an invitation for this Advent season. It's an invitation for your life every day until our King comes again. And so my hope for you today is that you would truly come and adore Jesus. That you would see him for who he is and you would worship him because of that. Because when you truly come and adore him, it brings about great joy in your life. It's for your good, it brings about great peace in your life in the midst of a messy world. So, with that, let's jump into Luke 2 and let's come to Bethlehem. Let's come and adore Jesus. As we come to this section in the book of Luke, in chapter 2, a lot has happened already in Luke. Luke chapter 1 is really long. It's 80 verses long. And so if you've never read Luke chapter 1 before, make that something you do this week. Go back and spend some time reading through it or studying it. But what's, one of the biggest things that's happened in Luke chapter 1 is that Jesus' birth has been foretold by an angel. That Mary, a virgin, is going to give birth to the very Son of God. And when we come to the beginning of chapter two, these first seven verses, we see that things are progressing, the time has come for him to be born. There's been a decree that's been made by the emperor. Everyone is called to return to their own home, to their ancestral home, to be counted. He's trying to take a census. He wants to count everybody in his kingdom, and so he sends everybody back to their ancestral home. And at this point, Mary is very pregnant. And she, along with her fiancé Joseph, they travel to Bethlehem. That's Joseph's ancestral home. That's where they need to go. And while they're there, it says that the time comes for Mary to give birth. Now most of you guys know we have four kids. Three of them were born four to five weeks early. So every time Amy's been in her last trimester, we've tried to stay really close to home. Like, we're not going to go too far away. We want to be near the hospital that we're supposed to go to. Can you imagine being so far away from a familiar place? I mean, Mary is really, really far away from everything that's comfortable and familiar to her in this new city, this new place that she maybe has never even gone to before, and there's no nice hospital for her to hang out in. The text doesn't say that the birth took place in a barn or stable, but it certainly implied that it was among animals. Once this baby is born, they wrap him in strips of cloth and lay him in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. I love what's going on here. The most powerful man in the known world, the most powerful man in the known world is trying to show his greatness and show his power by counting all of his people. And at the very same time, the God of the universe is showing how great he is and how much he loves his people by becoming one. Love that contrast. It's the one, Gabriel told his mother Mary, who would rule and reign forever. He's born into the humblest of circumstances. It's then that we come to our text today. And what we see are these two main things that are going to help us really understand what's going on here. It's going to help us understand how we can come to Bethlehem and see. We see an unexpected announcement and an invitation to adoration. An unexpected announcement and an invitation to to adoration. Let's look at it, this unexpected announcement that takes place in verses 8 through 11. Look at verse 8 with me again. It says that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. These shepherds, they're hanging out doing shepherd things, like hanging with their sheep. It's the middle of the night. They have to protect them from wild animals or people that might come to steal them. They're hanging out there. They're spending time there. And we see these shepherds, they're, they're ordinary, normal people. Now there's some debate amongst scholars about how society viewed shepherds, but what everybody can agree on is there's nothing really particularly special or spectacular about being a shepherd. But it's to these very ordinary shepherds that God decides to reveal His greatest news. Look at verses nine and 10. It says, "And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear." And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this? I mean, none of us are shepherds. Probably don't spend a whole lot of time at night hanging out in fields with just a few people. I don't know, maybe some of you do that on the weekend, I don't know. But most of us don't do that. So let's just picture something. Maybe you have a dog or you, you, you've had a dog at some point, and you walk your dog at night, and you're just walking along, minding your own business, maybe your dog, you know, you got to pick up something, some mess from your dog, and you lean down to pick it up, and all of a sudden, this huge, bright, piercing light just blinds you almost as you're sitting there with your dog in the middle of the night, and you look up, and there's a glowing person in front of you. That would obviously be terrifying. That would invoke some fear within you. But this angel says, I didn't come to hurt you, I came to bring good news to you, good news of great joy. And it's not just good news for them, for this group of shepherds, it's good news for all people. So what is this good news? Well, the angel tells us in verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, here's where, if we're familiar with this story, we need to stop and pay attention because we need to make sure we understand what's going on here. I think the gravity of all that's taking place in this one moment can be lost on us because of familiarity, lost on us here in 2020. We have to understand the state of things for God's people at this point. It had been, at this point in time, there had not been a prophet or a word from God for about 400 years. God was silent. So the people are longing. They've been longing for a word from God. They've been longing even more for this Redeemer to come and rescue and actually take place in the midst of their lives. They're longing for God to speak to them. And here we see in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 that God begins to do that again. He sends an angel to Zechariah. He sends an angel to Mary. There's speech and and messaging coming here that joy is coming, that light is breaking into the darkness, that hope has come, but it comes by way of a baby. I love what Hebrews chapter 1 says. It says that God has spoken to us at many times and in many ways, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. We hear from God as Jesus comes. But this baby, he's not just any baby baby, right? No, the angels say, For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He gives these three descriptive words about this baby: Savior, Christ, and Lord. He's telling these shepherds and he's telling us that this child is the one who will deliver you from your sin. The only one who can deliver you. He is the rescuer. He is the redeemer that you've been longing for. He's also the Christ. He's the promised Messiah, the anointed one of God that God's word has been telling us about for hundreds of years. Mark spoke to this last week. And he's Lord. He is sovereign over everything. He is king over all. In other words, this baby isn't anything like anyone else in this world, even Caesar. This is insane news. The one that the people of Israel have been longing for has actually come. But this angelic announcement that comes after an unimpressive place of birth, it doesn't come to kings. It doesn't come to people in high places. It comes to a group of everyday, ordinary people. Why? Why would God, when his Son is coming into the world and light is breaking into the darkness, why would he announce it to a group of shepherds? Well, it's because our God He brings the good news, the best news, to all people. To all people. It's not reserved for the elite or the worldly wise. It's not just for those who know a lot or have a lot. It's certainly not for those who only speak a certain way or look a certain way. No, it's for the simple and the ordinary. Is Jesus was born into humble circumstances, so he brings this good news to humble people. See, the angel he didn't announce this good news to the shepherds because they were good. He announced it to the shepherds because our God is gracious. He's gracious. It's for people who know that they don't have it all together, which means that it's good news for you. And it's good news for me, too. You know, we're a lot more like the shepherds than we might like to think. Most of us aren't powerful or famous, most of us are not of a noble birth. Just like these shepherds. Shepherds whose names are not even recorded in this story. That struck me this week. Like They're the first ones to hear about the birth of Christ and we don't even know who they are. We don't know their names. They're not recorded in this story because they, like us, aren't the focus of the story. No, this story, the story that's contained in these pages from beginning to end, is about the one who would come. The one who has come, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He has come to them and he has come to you. This is indeed good news, the most amazing news of great joy. The angel brings this unexpected announcement, which leads to an invitation to adoration. We see this in verses 12 through 20. In verse 12, the angel makes it clear that this isn't just for the sake of information. He's not coming just to say, hey, I want you to know about this, and that's all you need to do. That's all you need to know. No, he wants the shepherds to do, like our song says, to come to Bethlehem, to come and behold him. He wants them to go find him. No, he gives them this sign. He says, "You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Got it. Nothing, Nothing really different there, right? Babies are often wrapped up. And oh, by the way, he'll also be lying in a manger. Wait, What? Did you say a manger? Like the things that animals eat out of? The Savior who is Christ the Lord is going to be lying in a feeding trough? Yes. Look for him there. Look for him in his humble circumstances. Look for him in his humble beginnings. Look for someone like you. They don't have much time to think about this, though. They don't have room or or space to ask questions because, look at verse 13 and 14, it says... And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This would have been startling. I mean, they already have this glowing guy in front of them, the glory of God shining brightly, piercing into the darkness, and now the sky is filled with people like this. These angelic beings all around too many to count, and they're singing and they're declaring praise to God. Sing in choirs of angels, sing in exaltation, our hymn declares. Glory to God, glory to God in the highest, the one who's high and lifted up, who's above all things. Why do they praise God the Father? Because He sent His Son to rescue you. His Son, who is your peace. He brings peace on earth because he is the promised Prince of Peace. That Isaiah prophesied about 700 years before in Isaiah chapter 9. He has come to bring peace and he's come to rule and reign forever and ever. The world you and I live in is not a world that's at peace. It's not a world that's at peace because it's a world that doesn't follow God. Our sin has destroyed our humanity. Our rebellion has obliterated and torn down our relationships with one another with God, but Jesus comes, and he comes to restore what sin has broken. He comes to repair what our rebellion has destroyed. Jesus is our peace. He establishes the shalom of God. Shalom is the Hebrew word that we often translate into the English word peace, but it has such a wider meaning than just the absence of conflict. It certainly includes that. But when we talk about shalom, we're talking about completeness and wholeness and harmony and reconciliation. Where do you need that in your life right now? When you think about your own life right now, where might you need the shalom of God to take place? Are you in a difficult relationship right now and need reconciliation? Are you just looking and living in the world we live in and just seeing the brokenness that it weighs on you? Are you seeing people... That don't understand you or don't get you? Do you feel lonely? Do you feel incomplete? All of those things come together in and through Christ. He says, peace has come, the angels sing, to those with whom God is pleased. Now, that doesn't mean because you've earned it. It doesn't mean because you've figured it out. We can look through the pages of scripture and see that salvation never comes because of works. Because of you doing something to earn it or get it from God. Now, he gives peace to those whom he is pleased because he's chosen to show grace and give favor to a humanity that doesn't deserve it. And it can be received by those who will take that gift of faith by that gift of redemption by faith. So here's what that means for you and I as we look for hope in our world. The hope of the world, the hope for your life. It's not found in White Houses or castles or capitals. It's found in a manger, it's found on a cross, it's found at an empty tomb. Now we can't hear good news like this and not respond. That's true for the shepherds, and I want it to be true for us as well. I want you to come to Bethlehem. I want you to come and adore him. Look at verses 15 through 17. It said, when the angels went away from them into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. This whole myriad of angels is all around them, declaring praises to God, and all of a sudden they're gone. The shepherds are just standing there with one another. They don't stand around Liberating, debating, the validity of what's been said. Is it really worthwhile? Should we really spend time thinking about this? They don't respond in skepticism. They respond with faith. I'm sure they're still trembling. Minds swimming a bit, but they make a quick decision. We need to go see this baby. Verse 16 says that they go with haste. They go with haste. Haste doesn't mean they just hurried. It means they kind of weren't thinking about what they were doing, right? If you leave your house with haste, maybe you leave your phone behind. Or you leave a light on. Right? Like, they didn't have somebody like, hey, can you watch the sheep for a few minutes? I'll be back in a little bit. No, like, they just drop everything and run. I picture these guys booking it across fields, jumping over fences, swimming or walking through creek beds. Whatever they had to do to get into Bethlehem to find this baby, to find this inn with this room for animals near. They went to behold him. The one who is the king of angels who just announced his birth. They run to see the Savior and they find him. Just as the angels said that they would lying in a manger. And they tell everyone about what they've seen and heard. There's people in that room. There's people gathered around. They say, you're never going to believe this. They testify to what's happened. You know, that's what happens when we begin to adore Jesus. We testify to it. We have to tell people about it. We have to tell people who we've seen and what we've heard. We have to testify to the good news of great joy. And who has God put in your life right now that needs to hear you testify to this good news? Who's God's put in you? Who's, who has God put in your life right now? Maybe a neighbor or a coworker or a family member or a friend that doesn't yet know Christ. Maybe even is celebrating Christmas, but not because they're worshiping Jesus. Who can you testify to this great news, good news of great joy? As they testify, it elicits other responses, as testimonies often do, from those who are there. Verse 18 says, all who heard it wondered. They're perplexed, they're amazed. They're like, wow, that's really fascinating and interesting. So you saw a bunch of angels, and that's what they said to you. But Mary, Mary responds a bit differently. Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I love that. Women are so important to God's people. Men and women both are image bearers of God, co-image bearers of God. We, are, we need women in our lives and in the church to be who God has called us to be. And I love how Mary, this woman and this mom, is described. She's thinking deeply. She's pondering. She's treasuring these things that have been said to her about her son. Now, I've looked at my kids' faces at different points in their lives, and I've been in awe, even moved. To look at their little eyes and their little cute faces. But never once has it crossed my mind that they might be for my redemption or for my salvation, that they were the means of my rescue. I can't imagine what was going on in Mary's head and heart. This is her baby. She's carried this child around for nine months, growing, feeling him move inside her, the one who Gabriel said would be the king of kings, the one who Gabriel told her to name him Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. This child, lying in this manger before her, is her savior. She hears these words from these strangers and she treasures them in her heart. She thinks deeply on what's said, and I imagine with a smile on her face. That this baby, this child, her son, as she looks at him as God's son, is Christ, her king, who one day she'll see crucified on a cross for her. And the shepherd's faith is confirmed. It's deepened in this moment as they see this child face to face, and it leads them to worship. It leads them to adoration. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. We don't know how long they're there, how long they spent time with Jesus and his family, but when they leave, they leave in awe. They, They leave in wonder and worship and adoration. They leave glorifying and praising God for all they've seen and heard. Their lives would never, ever be the same. Now, you and I. We can't literally go to Bethlehem today and find Jesus lying in the manger. We can't see the the same things that they did in the same way that they did, but we can see in these pages. And we can see by the power of the Spirit working in our hearts and minds. We can come to Bethlehem and see. That's why I love the invitation of this song that we sing during Advent, O come all ye faithful. I love that it invites us even now to come to Bethlehem and see. It invites us to adoration of Jesus, where our affections are for Christ. It invites us to infatuation of Jesus. It invites us to refocus our hearts and our minds on Christ. Because I don't know about you, but it is so easy for me to not be in awe of Jesus, to be taken in by too many small things. Taken captive by too many less glorious things. Do you know what I mean? Like the shiny things in life, they get in the way. They get in the way. But the power of a greater affection of Christ coming in removes that old junk out of our hearts because we see Christ for who he is and then we can adore him. We need help. We need help to refocus on what is actually glorious. We need to keep coming to Bethlehem over and over again to see our Savior. So, we sing to one another and over one another, O come, all ye faithful. O come, all ye faithful. O is meant to call to attention. There's a call with a sense of urgency. And faithful is a reference to all followers of Jesus. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. I'm glad that we're talking about this at this point in Advent, the beginning of December, for all the normal reasons that we need to talk about this in Christmas and during the Christmas season. Christmas often is hijacked by consumerism, right? But I'm especially glad we're talking about this at the beginning of this Advent in this particular year because it is 2020. This has been a, a hard year. I found myself at various points kind of surprised that it's Advent. Like, it doesn't feel like Advent to me. I don't know about you, but I feel like 2020 has been the movie Groundhog Day. Like, every day kind of seems the same in a lot of different ways. It still feels like it did in the fall, and in the summer, and in the spring. A lot of the same things that we're doing. It's a weird year that's gone by really quickly, yet at the very same time feels like five years packed into one. It's a strange time that we live in. It's been difficult and sad for a lot of different reasons. Not just at the global scale of all that's been going on, but I'm guessing even in your own life you've experienced sadness and difficulty. So my guess is for a lot of us, we maybe don't feel particularly joyful or particularly triumphant right now, like the song says. But that's why we need to come to this story. That's why we need to sit in it and soak in it and hear it and see it with fresh eyes and ears. It's why we need to sing this song. It's why we need to sing it over one another. When you come to gather together with the church, you don't just come for you. You come for the people around you. And you come knowing that maybe you can't sing these songs and you don't have faith for that, but there may be somebody next to you who does. And so we listen to them singing with faith. That encourages our faith. It's why the the benefit of gathering together is something we can talk about forever and ever. We can never neglect what it means to be the church. It's why my, my heart breaks that we can't all be together, that some are at home and some are here. I long for when we can be together again, to sing with one another and over one another. So when you think about gathering with the church, don't think about, is it good for me? Think about the fact that somebody needs you to be here. They need to hear you sing when you're full of faith, and you'll need them to sing When you're struggling with yours, it's why this season and celebration of Advent is so important for God's people now, just like it was then. See, the world at the time of Jesus' birth was dark too. The people of God were struggling. But as writer Wendell Berry succinctly said, it gets darker and darker then Jesus is born. Then Jesus is born. And we can't forget that light has broken into the darkness. And the darkness will not overcome it. It will not overcome him. Jesus has come, and he will come again. What this means is you can be joyful, and you can be triumphant, not because all of your circumstances are great, or wonderful, or perfect, or comfortable. Not because you figure out the secrets of success. Not because you can look around and say, well, I'm better than the people around me. No, you can be joyful and triumphant because Jesus is like you and Jesus is for you. He has come to us as one of us to rescue us. You can be joyful and triumphant, not because you've defeated all of your fears and foes in your life on your own. No, you can be joyful and triumphant because Jesus went to a cross for you. And he went to die in your place To take on all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your rebellion. And he rose again from the grave, victorious, defeating your greatest enemy, your sin and eternal death. You can be joyful and triumphant because Jesus has walked this path before you. And he is walking with you still. See, this story that we're reading in Luke chapter 2, it's not just a nice, neat story to read. Kind of like, that's cool that that happened. I'm glad for that. This is the story of an invasion. That light is invading darkness. It's breaking into darkness. Jesus has come on a rescue mission to provide the only way for you to be made whole, the only way for you to be made new. In and through Jesus is the only way for you to have everlasting peace and abounding joy. And this hymn, this hymn is a gift to you also. Because it graciously invites you to place yourself in the position of the shepherds in their response. It's an invitation to adoration for you also. Oh, come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him. What did the shepherds do? They went with haste to Bethlehem. But they didn't go just out of curiosity. Just to kind of take a quick peek of a and look and say, Oh, that's kind of nice, like just kind of sentimentally. No, they go with haste. They testify in faith and they leave in worship. They come to behold and come to adore the word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. See, this text and Psalm, they invite you to do the very same thing. Our world is in desperate need of hope. It's in desperate need of light breaking into the darkness. And who else are they going to hear that from but us? But that's not going to be what we share with people if we're not adoring Christ in our own life. If we're not taken up with who Jesus is in our own life. So whether Jesus is new to you you, or you've been following him and celebrating Advent for years and years, my encouragement to you is the same. Run with haste. Run with haste like the shepherds to see Jesus. In a year of difficulty, in a season of distraction. In a life that's often marked by discouragements and disappointments, run with haste. Come and behold and adore. Not after you get your act together, but in the midst of the mess. Now you may be encouraged with that now, but you're going to walk out these doors, and Monday's going to come, and then Wednesday's going to happen, and there's going to be some difficult conversation you have, or your kids aren't going to act the way that you would hope that they would. Temptation is going to rise up in your life. See, we have to continue to strive to adore Christ above all things. So how can you get back to Bethlehem throughout the week this week? Well, I just want to give you a few quick things that have been helpful for me. Always reading the word in prayer. prayer, Reading the word in prayer is always going to help me and help you realign our heart, realign our focus so we can adore Christ. That we spend time sitting and soaking in God's word. And if you don't know how to do that or what that looks like or you're struggling with that, let me know. Let any of our leaders know. We'd love to help you engage God's word in a practical way so that you can see Jesus. But during this Advent season in particular, one of the things I really enjoy that helps to kind of refocus my mind back on Christ, to adore him, to come to Bethlehem and see, is just to listen to Advent songs. I have them playing in my car. We have them on speaker at our house often. Maybe you don't know good Advent music. You're tired of listening to Feliz Navidad that plays on the radio over and over again, or the Beatles singing whatever they sing that plays constantly on the radio. The Gospel Coalition has put out a playlist that has about 100 Advent songs on it. Go check that out. Listen to some of the songs on there. If you don't like one, skip one. There's like seven hours of music on there. But it's been encouraging to me just to come and listen to that music over and over again. Sometimes same songs and always the same themes, just pointing me back to Christ. We spend time as a family doing an Advent devotional. Doing that with our kids right now. There's a couple of good ones that we've done as a family. I'd love to recommend them to you if you have questions about that. Amy and I right now are reading Paul Tripp's uh, Advent devotional called Come Let Us Adore Him. If you want a copy of that and you don't have one, they're on Amazon. I'd love to get one for you if you can't get one on your own. Find a good devotional that's gonna point you towards Christ as well. Now here's a really simple thing that if you have this in your house that I really enjoy doing is just knowing you're actually sitting near my Christmas tree. With all the lights turned off, without your phone, just sitting there, just being there. reminds me of light breaking into the darkness. And always being together with the church. Hearing God's word prayed and sung and read and preached to me and over me is always drawing my affections back to Christ. Maybe there's other things for you that are helpful for you to come to Bethlehem and see and adore Christ. Whatever those are, share them in community this week. Listen, when you adore something, when you adore something that's actually worthy of adoration, it brings true joy to your life. Because everything else that's occupied your heart and mind, everything else that's sought to steal your joy or give you some kind of temporary joy, it all fades into the background and you see it for what it's really worth. So church, come to Bethlehem. Come and behold Him. Come and adore the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Our hope during this series is to help you slow down so you can be in awe. So amidst all the noise and all the clatter around us, may our love and affection, may our voice and praise for our King rise above it all. Sing with the angels, ye citizens of heaven. Sing in adoration and exaltation of the one who has come to rescue you and the one who will come again to make all things new. Come, let us adore him. Come, let us adore him. Come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. You know, one of the best things I think we can do right now is come and take communion with one another. To so refocus our souls, our minds, even in this moment, God has given us this tactile, physical means of grace to refresh our souls because of what Jesus has done. We eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for us, and drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us. And so as you eat and drink today, may it point you back to the first advent in your rescue. and point you ahead to the second advent of your restoration when Christ will come again. And may it compel you to respond like the shepherds, to leave this place glorifying and praising God for all you've seen and heard and been told. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. We would just ask you not to take communion because this is a testimony to the fact that Jesus is our only hope. And so instead of taking communion, we want you to take Christ. That you actually confess your need for Jesus, even here in this moment, and let somebody around you know that you want to learn more about what it means to know Christ and follow him. For those of you that will take it, the elements are on the table out in the lobby if you didn't grab them on the way in. And you can take them for whatever you feel like. Take time to pray. Take time to repent. Take time to celebrate. And then we'll stand and sing together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for not leaving us to ourselves. God, thank you for not leaving us in darkness. Thank you for sending your Son, light, breaking into the darkness to rescue us and redeem us, not from a distance, by taking on humanity and entering this mess, entering our brokenness. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help us to see and savor Jesus. Help us, not only this week, but in the days ahead, to come to Bethlehem and see. Help us to come and adore, adore the King of Kings. And God, I pray that out of the overflow of our adoration for Christ, that we would testify to those around us of good news, of great joy. God, revive our hearts so that revival can take place in the city of Fairfax in Northern Virginia and all these places around us, God. God, help us to see and savor Jesus this week. Thank you for your grace we have in him. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at Go in peace.